Hey, good morning. Good to see you all. I'd love you to um, keep your Bibles out, uh, the passage that we had uh, read to us in, in, cool, in a kind of cool little dramatic way of kind of maybe how it was written down. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, and we're in verses 1 to 10. Um, but before we get into it, um, I'd love to pray. So why don't, we, um, why don't we pray together? Father, you are um, our great, amazing, powerful God. Uh, you are so far above us, uh, so much greater than we are, and so it is just incredible to think that we could have a relationship with you, that you would come to this earth uh, in sending your son uh, to pay for our sin so that we could know you. That just, just blows our mind. Father, I pray that this morning as we look at your word, as we look at uh, these 10 verses, that you would help us to have really open hearts. That is, we hear some things that are kind of hard to hear that maybe we don't like, but also hear some great and wonderful things that we would be really open to hear from you. Uh, I pray that we wouldn't put up walls uh, in our heart, but that we would um, let you speak to us um, and reveal more of yourself to us. So I pray that you would be with us, that you would give me um, the words to say and help me to be faithful to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So we are continuing uh, in our series in uh, Ephesians. Uh, we've um, decided to do this series alongside the church series. So you'll uh, remember uh, uh, three or four weeks ago, we kicked off the church series that Brad's going to be taking us through. Uh, and that's going to be going uh, for about 10 weeks. And so what we're doing is doing two series kind of side by side, two, se uh, two weeks on the church and then two weeks in the book uh, of Ephesians. And we, uh, we titled this series, Ephesians, Brought to Life and Brought Together. Because the book of Ephesians is about uh, the church. It's about the identity of the church. And what uh, we see as we go through the book of, of Ephesians is that there's two kind of key components that make up the church, right? The church is made up of people, of those who have been brought from uh, death to life, but also, it's made up of a bunch of people who have been brought together in Christ from a whole bunch of different uh, backgrounds uh, and contexts. And so we think it fits well uh, as we go through the church series. Uh, and this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at kind of this first component of, of uh, the church, which is brought to life. Uh, and we uh, are going to be looking at uh, grace. We're going to be looking at God's incredible gift to us. And so the title of this sermon is Rescued by Grace. The church is made up of those who have been saved. Uh, this morning, I haven't got a whole heap of slides. As you can see, there's, there's one coming. Uh, but I haven't got a whole heap of slides. Um, what, what, what I've got is um, a couple of titles, but I've actually got the entire passage just on the screen. And so I want that to be up there most of the time because we're actually going to... Um, we're going to kind of go through this passage verse by verse. And so if you've got your Bible, I'd love you to get it out. Be looking at the text for yourself. Uh, and as, as a little side note, if you own a Bible but you don't bring it on Sundays, can I really encourage you to do that? Um, because when we come together, we want to open God's Word because we believe that in this book, God reveals who He is to us. But He also reveals who we are. And so when people get up here to speak, we want to make sure that you don't just take our word for it, but we want to be going to the ultimate authority to make sure that what has been said is from God's word. So 
that's what we're going to be doing. Have your Bibles open, um, and um, we'll be going through the verse, first uh, 10 verses. Last week, we kicked off Ephesians, and, and Shane took us through chapter 1. And you'll remember through chapter 1, we saw the riches of the gift of salvation, or all the riches that come to us in being saved by God. We saw how we have been blessed uh, with every spiritual blessing. And you'll hopefully remember as well, towards the end of the chapter, uh, we saw how God's power works uh, through us, but that's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And so the power that God is using, working in and amongst us, is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. And so Paul kind of keeps on that focus as we move into chapter 2. He wants to keep the focus on God and his uh, amazing power and kindness. And he wants to show God's power in the transformation that happens as we are saved. And so we're going to be looking at that uh, this morning. This morning is going to be about contrast. Paul wants to contrast uh, for us uh, what we were before we were saved and what we have become uh, since being saved by Christ. And I think we like contrast, right? I mean, when I think of uh, a before and after uh, kind of picture, this is what I'm thinking of, uh, there's a, 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 I don't know if it's a show on, online, but I saw it somewhere where um, a bunch of people will go and uh, find homeless people and they'll um, clean them up and they'll get some clothes and they'll kind of take them to a job interview and, 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 and see how they move forward. But there's this amazing contrast of before and, and after. Uh, and I think we like to see that, right? Similar if someone has like a real dramatic uh, weight loss and we see what they were before and then what they are after. And that's what Paul wants to do uh, in this uh, chapter that we're going to be looking at this morning. He wants to do a, a contrast of before and after. But he's not going to contrast uh, weight loss or, or maybe uh, clothes and haircuts and, and all that sort of stuff. What Paul wants to contrast is what we were by nature, what we were uh, in our human nature before we were saved by Christ compared to what we have become by grace. So we look at what we were by nature compared to what we have become by grace. And so Paul's going to sort of put up this mirror and he's going to uh, show us what we were before to what we are now. And so we're going to have a look at that together. Um, I want to give you a little bit of a, a heads up though. Um, the first part of this passage is, is actually pretty dark. It's pretty down and, and, and a bit depressing, but I really want you to hold with me through it. Uh, I think we have to see um, the dark and the difficult to be able to see how amazing the goodness and the light is. And so we'll see that as we go through. But grab your Bibles. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul puts up this mirror and he goes, have a look at what you were before you were saved. And I'm going to show you three key things, Paul says, of what uh, you were like before you were saved. And we see it as we kick off in verse 1. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And so as, as we look at this image of who we were, the first thing that Paul points out to us about ourselves is that before we were saved by Christ, we were dead. We were dead. Now this isn't uh, a physical death, right? This isn't kind of an intellectual death, and we know that because 
people who, there's plenty of people who uh, don't follow Christ but are perfectly well, perfectly healthy, and are very intelligent. And so what Paul is talking about here is a spiritual death. That is, before we were saved, we were spiritually dead. And notice there in verse 1 why we were dead, right? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins. Before Christ saved us, we were dead because we had rejected God. Because we were rebels against Him. And what this looks like is that, uh, what it looks like to be dead spiritually is that we had no love for God. Right Before Christ saved us, when we were dead in our transgressions and sin, we had no desire for God. We were blind to His glory. We didn't see His greatness. We were deaf to His call. We did not hear Him calling us. Uh, one writer said we were as unresponsive as a corpse. And so what this is saying is that if we were left to ourselves, if God never intervened into our lives, we would never naturally move towards God. Never. If God, if you're, a, if you're a follower of Jesus, if God had not stepped into your life, you would not have pursued him naturally because we were dead in our sins and no one that is dead can cause himself to be alive. It takes an external person to step in to change the situation. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. And so Paul wants to stress this as we begin, as we look at what we were compared to what we have become. The first thing he wants to point out is we were dead. We were unresponsive. We needed someone else to step in and to take action. We were spiritually unresponsive. But let's keep going to the next verse, to uh, verses, 10, uh, verses 2 to 3. And we'll see the next uh, aspect of ourselves that Paul uh, points out to us. We'll go from verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following excuse me, its desires and thoughts. So having pointed out, Paul, to us that uh, in our old self we were dead, he now uh, points out the next, next aspect. And he says, not only were you dead in your sins and transgressions, but actually you were also enslaved. You were enslaved. And there were three main influences that enslaved you. And so have a look at the text with me. In verse 2, Paul says, uh, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world. Before Christ saved us, we were slaves to the world, to the ways of this world. Now, you might have heard this kind of terminology before, the world, right? Often it's, it's talked about in contrast to godly living, right? Do not love the world or the ways of the world, but um, live kind of godly lives. But what does this mean? What, what, what is the world? What is uh, the ways of the world? Well, the ways of the world is basically society without God. Right? It's society or culture without God. We might call it secularism. And so what it means to be enslaved to the ways of this world is, is that we're enslaved to, say, pop culture. Right? I think we get that. Right? Probably more so some of the younger ones, but we were enslaved to pop culture, maybe. 
probably for all of us, right? We were maybe enslaved to the mass opinion, right? Being enslaved to the ways of the world is, is not actually having a mind for ourselves, but we just go along with the mass opinion of whatever is said. This is right. This is true. This is wrong. This is good. We could, okay, sure. We'll go along with it. No mind for ourselves. Cultural enslavement that pushes us to live a life without God. I think um, being involved with the youth work, parents know what this is. Hey, <laughs> parents, you know what this is like because we talk about it. And I mean, this is, this is one of the biggest difficulties uh, for a young person growing up is how to not be a slave to the ways of the world. It's so gripping. And Paul says it's not just the young people, but all of us. We're slave to the ways uh, of this world. Uh, have a look at the second part of verse 2. Uh, you follow the ways of the world and, the, uh, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Paul says not only were you slaves to the influence uh, of, of kind of a society that is without God, but actually you were also slaves to this person called the, uh, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And this is another title used for the devil, for Satan. And I want us to be really clear that um, we live very much in a spiritual world. We live in a world that tells us that um, we only exist in the material and what is physical, but it's just not true. We also live in the spiritual, and what the Bible says is that in the spiritual realm, we have an enemy. A very real enemy who is active, and his name is Satan. He's the devil. And he's not this kind of small, cute, little red guy who sits on your shoulder and he has a, has a pitchfork. No, he's described as a roaring lion that seeks to devour. And what Paul says is that uh, before we were saved in Christ, we were slaves to him. Because he, was, he is active in this world and his greatest desire is to take our, our, our gaze off of Christ just for a second. He doesn't need the worship to be on him, right? We don't all have to become Satan worshipers. He just doesn't want us to worship God. And so Paul wants us to be really clear the influences that were going on and the powers that we were under before we were saved. The world the devil, and then have a look at verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Before Christ saved us, we were... Um, enslaved to our flesh. And you might have heard that as well, uh, repeated often throughout the Bible. We were enslaved to our flesh. That is our fallen, self-centered human nature, right? Our fallen, self-centered human nature. And what that means is that before Christ saved us, we could not say no to sin. We couldn't. Because we were still uh, enslaved to our sinful nature. We had no choice but to say uh, yes to sin. We could not say no to its desires and to its cravings. And, you know, I think the thing is when we look at this is that often um, 
people and, and ourselves, we can think that we're independent, right? I choose what I want to do. No one influences my life. And, and I've had lots of friends. I mean, I think about before I came a Christian, this is the mentality I have, right? And I, I talk to friends and family members who aren't Christians, and, and, and there's this uh, idea that, no, I'm in charge, and I have independence. I make uh, the decisions in my life. But what Paul says here at the start is that no one is independent. There is no independence. We either are following Christ or we're following either the world, the devil, or our sinful nature. And so any sense of independence that I choose and I'm in control is actually just not true. It's not there. It's pretend. All of us are influenced. All of us are dependent on someone or something. I know this to be true from my life, that I thought this way absolutely. And often it isn't until we um, have been saved, until we come into the freedom that Christ uh, offers, that we look back and we go, man, man, I was enslaved to that. I, I couldn't get out of that. I was in this hole and, and I just couldn't say no. And then... The miracle of salvation. God's spirit comes into us, enabling us to say no to sin and changing us from the inside uh, out. We were enslaved. And the last one that Paul wants us to see in this mirror of who we were, that we were dead in our transgressions, that we were enslaved. But lastly, he wants us to see at the end of verse 3 is that we were condemned. That we were condemned. And this would have to be probably the hardest line in this entire verse uh, as we're looking at it. It's not hard in that it's hard to understand. I think it's pretty straightforward. But it's hard to accept. It's really hard to accept. Have a look at it with me at the second half of verse 3. Paul says, Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And the two words that are the most difficult for us in this passage is firstly, by nature, right? And secondly, wrath. That by nature, we were deserving of wrath. And so I want to look really briefly at those two words because this is a really important verse that we have to understand because uh, the implications of misunderstanding this is huge. So firstly, God's wrath. What, is it, what does God's wrath mean? Well, God's wrath is God's condemnation and refusal to compromise on evil and sin. Let's say that again. God's wrath is his condemnation and his refusal to compromise on evil and sin. This is God's active judgment, right? Now, I, I want us to see what God's wrath isn't, okay? God's wrath is not his bad temper. It's not like he just woke up on the wrong side of the bed and he, I'm just in a bad mood today. Wrath, 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 right? That's not what this is. This isn't a bad mood that kind of comes and goes. Here's, here's really important what isn't. God's wrath is not his revenge. Well, you didn't give me my glory, and so I'm going to get revenge on you in some sort of spiteful way, and that there's some sort of pleasure that God gets in, in, in seeing his wrath poured out. Not at all is that, uh, no, that's not what God's wrath is like at all. Rather, what God's wrath is, is it's predictable. And actually, there's real comfort in this. 
God's wrath is predictable. We know clearly where the line is, and it doesn't change. And so we don't have to worry if we're kind of on God's good side or are we on his bad side. He's made it really clear, and he doesn't change. More than that, God's wrath is right. It's fear. It's his judgment on evil and sin. See, I think as humans, we, we want justice, hey? Like, you get that feeling. I want justice. And actually, the reason why we want that is because God wants justice. And we were made in his image. And so I actually think, I'm, there's an element where I'm really glad that God doesn't want to compromise on evil and on sin. Doesn't want to compromise. Rather, it is the right and the fair judgment of evil and sin. Let's look at by nature. By nature, we were deserving of God's wrath. What this is saying is that in our nature as humans, we are sinners and rebels. To the core of who we are as humans, we are under God's judgment because we are sinners and rebels. Me. To the core, I am a sinner. It's not just that my mind is sinful or my desires are sinful. No, to the core, as a human, who I am, I am a sinner. And this originated with Adam, right? You remember in the Garden of Eve, Adam and Eve, they sinned uh, at the beginning and it affected all of human history. As Adam sinned, so did I. See, I wouldn't have done it any differently if I was there. And guess what? I can promise you, you wouldn't have either. <laughs> By nature, we are deserving uh, of God's wrath. What's more is that by nature, every area of our life is tainted by sin. So that doesn't mean that we have good parts to ourselves and then we have the bad kind of sinful parts. No blanket statement. To the core of who you are, you're a sinner and a rebel against God, and so am I. So am I. But why does this matter? Why, why do we labor on sin? No one wants to hear this, right? I mean, you don't want to hear this. I don't actually really want to tell you this, <laughs> right? It feels uncomfortable. I can feel like an, a feeling of, of uncomfortableness. But the thing is, this is what God's word says, right? I'm not telling you what I think of you, that I think you're all sinners. No, what I want to do is hold out God's word to you and say, this is what I think it says, and then I want to leave it up to you to make a decision on whether you think it's true or not. See, you can decide whether to stand over top of God's word and go, I'm going to decide no. <laughs> that's, that's not what I think is true. That's not what I think I'm like. That's not what I think God is like. Now, you, are, you can decide that 100%. But the other option is that we actually put ourselves under God's word and go, you know what? I don't necessarily like what it says here. And I don't even fully understand it, maybe. But I trust that the creator of the universe has got a better idea of what's going on than I do. And I know my own heart. And I know actually deep down what Paul is saying about human nature and what we were before. I look at my life, I go, you know what? That is actually me to a T. I was exactly like that. And I actually struggle still because in my nature, I'm a rebel. I'm a sinner. 
And so the reason why this matters, the reason why we need to spend time on words like nature and words like wrath is because, uh, is because you are not under God's wrath because of your mistakes. Right? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a, um, an event and I heard a gospel presentation given um, where they said, Jesus Christ came and he died for your mistakes and then he rose again, put your trust in him. And it was a call to the gospel. And I was sitting there and I was going, I don't think that's the gospel. See, there's one word in that sentence that makes a big difference if it's true or not because eternity's at stake. We are not under God's wrath because of our mistakes. No, we are under God's wrath because of our sin. And we don't like to take responsibility for our sin, but Paul tells us we have to. You see, the issue with the word mistake is that it implies good intentions, right? Oh, well, he didn't really mean to do that. He's actually a good guy, right? She just stuffed up. She's actually not too bad. Now, I get why the temptation to put the gospel forward in this way is attractive, right? Because it's e- mistake is much easier than because of our sin. But that's not the gospel. Because what Paul makes it really clear here is that we are not part good, part bad, and we kind of stuff up and make mistakes. No, to our core, we have rejected God. And to our core, we are deserving of the right and fair Judgment and punishment for our sin. You see, Jesus had to die for our sin, right? It was, it's that bad. That's how serious it was. It wasn't just for some mistakes. We have to take responsibility for our sin. And if we don't, we dishonor Christ's death. If we don't take responsibility for our sin, Jesus' death gets cheapened. We didn't really need to to, to die, you know, it wasn't that bad. No, it took God becoming a man and dying on a cross for our sin. Paul begins by making sure that we get who we are so that we are amazed and thankful for what we have become. You see, our old nature, we were dead, we were enslaved, we were condemned. But have a look at verse 4. There is a glorious word at the beginning of verse four, but. That is the best word in this entire passage, right? Because but means contrast, right? We've come through the hard part, but because of his great love for us, God. By nature, we were deserving of wrath, but God in his love and in his mercy has done something amazing for us. And so we're gonna change Uh, views a little bit. Paul has had that mirror up and we've seen who we were before in our human nature. Now we're going to put that next to what we have become by grace. And Paul kicks it off in verse 4 and 5 by saying, uh, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. You see, we were dead, spiritually dead, but we have been made alive with Christ. And so what that means is that we can love and know God. We can come into relationship with God because 
We are spiritually alive. Let's keep going in verse, uh, the, the start of verse 6, and it says, And God raised us up with Christ. Once we were enslaved. Now we have been freed. We've been raised with Christ. And so his resurrection and the implications from that are given to us as well. We can say no to the power of sin. Death and Satan have lost their power over us. We are no longer slaves, right? Romans 8 talks about that. We need not fear any longer because we're no longer slaves. But we have been made free. The victory is ours. And then let's have a look at the second part of verse 6. Not only has he raised us up with Christ, but he has seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Once we were condemned, but now we have been honored. Once we were condemned, now we've been honored. Not only has God raised us up with Christ, but he has seated us in the heavenly realms where there is power and there is honor. And I love this picture, right? That before we were saved, we were by nature uh, under God's wrath. Now we sit next to the judge. I mean, don't you like that? Before we were under condemnation, now we have uh, been made alive, we've been raised with Christ, and then we've been seated in the heavenly realms next to him with the judge, knowing in full confidence there is now no more condemnation for the, for, I've lost the verse, for those who are in sin. <laughs> Paraphrase. I mean, that is an amazing picture of contrast. We are no longer condemned, but our identity in Christ trumps our human nature, which is under wrath. God no longer sees our sin, but he sees Christ's perfect life given to us. And that's the best news in the world. We were once dead, now alive. We were once enslaved, now free. We were once condemned, now we're honored. And we're going to finish off by having a quick look at why did God do this? Why did he do it? And there's two really quick reasons. The first one's super fast. It's in verses four to five. We've kind of already hit it. But it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive, even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. You see, the reason why God stepped into our mess and stepped into a sinful world and decided to take on the sin of the world and die for it is because he loves you. Because he's merciful. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And I, I, we don't need to talk about it. Paul's already made that really clear, hey, that we deserve it. Not getting what we deserve, but grace is an undeserved gift. We did not deserve the gift of salvation, but God in his love and in his kindness has given it to us. See, this is a passage that's about God. It's a passage that is about his power and his kindness in doing something that we could not do for ourselves. So you go through this passage and everything is being done to us, right? We were made alive. We were raised. We were seated. We didn't do any of that by ourselves. And in that wonderful phrase, uh, by grace you have been saved, 
Paul's saying, you are now a people who have been saved and will remain forever saved through God's actions towards us. And so God's greatness is shown in salvation. And this is the gospel, right? The good news about Jesus Christ. Have a look in verse 8 to 9 as a little summary. And we, we heard it in the reading. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works that anyone could boast. You see, salvation is made up of grace and faith. Salvation is an undeserved gift because we are sinners and because we cannot earn it, right? It's a free gift. And the way that we come into salvation is through faith. It's through trusting in Jesus Christ and his death for us. It's not an acknowledgement. It's not just going, hey, I believe Jesus existed. And, and sure, historically, maybe he died. No, it's a practical trusting. I'm going to trust this and actually like put it on and live through it. And so I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to submit my life to him because he's the son of God. And then verse 9, Paul wants to stress the fact that this is a gift, right? Not by works so that no one can boast. Salvation is God's free gift to us. And so you cannot earn it, right? It's not paying for a paycheck. You cannot earn it but also you can't pay it back, right? You don't pay a gift back. And sometimes we struggle with this. Hey, like someone gives us a gift and we go, okay, remember I gotta, I gotta pay them back. This happens with weddings as well. It's real funny. You, like um, sometimes you get invited to it. You, you invite someone to their wedding and then they'll invite you. And I go, I, I reckon we've lost contact for a long time. I reckon they just invited us because they felt obligated to invite us because we invited them to our wedding, right? We wanna sort of pay back and be polite with that. But we can't do that with this. There is nothing that we can contribute or there's nothing that we bring to the table when it comes to God saving us. It is a free gift that we cannot earn and we cannot pay it back. And so here's kind of where I'm going to wrap up. I think that amongst followers of Jesus, there are two groups of people, okay? There are the goody two-shoes and then there's the guilty, right? And the goody two-shoes are those who deep down think they're pretty good. Okay, and I'm going to put my hand up and say, I'm in that category, right? <laughs> All through my life, I've just, I don't know, I've just thought I was an okay person. <laughs> um, and so what I need to be reminded of is actually the first part of this passage, that by nature I am under wrath. And what's really important is that if you're in that position now and you, you kind of sit more on the goody two-shoe size than the guilty side, is you need to remember, you brought nothing to the table. Right? There was nothing in you that God went, you know what, I actually really like that about her, and I really like that about him. And so come into my family, and hey, you actually offer a little bit of this. You come into the family as well. There was none of that. You brought nothing to the table. God, in his love and his mercy, saved us because we all on a level playing field, by nature, were under God's wrath. But the second group is the guilty. And those are, um, are the ones amongst us that go, you know what? I don't need the first half of that passage, right? I am so aware of my sin. And the guilt that I live with, even though I've trusted Jesus, is sometimes unbearable because you don't know what I've done. And so those of us amongst us who, who are in this category, you'll dwell on the first half of this passage. You'll go, I know, I know, I know. And then just won't be able to accept the second half of this passage. 
And if you're in that category, I want to say this. Stop trying to earn God's favor. Embrace God's gift as a free, undeserved gift. You don't need to be enslaved to guilt. Jesus paid for your sin. And you know he did because he rose from the dead. If your sin had been that bad, he wouldn't have been able to rise. Right? It shows the check cleared. That's how I like to think of it. Christ has paid for it. It's done. And so the guilt that you're feeling is not God's condemnation on you. You stuffed up again. No. There's now no more condemnation. And so that guilt is either sourced within ourselves or there's external, void, uh, external forces, right, that are going, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. And that's true. <laughs> but we're all not good enough. And that's what is so amazing about grace. We do not deserve it. And so we're going to, I said finish a lot of times, on verse 10, okay? For we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Remember verse at the end? I've said a lot. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But God, right, created us in Christ to do good works. We are his handiwork. He has crafted us to be a new creation in him, no longer under condemnation, no longer under condemnation but made alive, made new. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, if you follow Jesus, I just want to encourage you in your identity and who you are as a Christian. If maybe you're here this morning and, and, and maybe this is all new for you and you're like, man, these guys, are they just ride the roller coaster. Can I urge you to check out who Jesus is? To realize your desperate need for him and to put your trust and your faith in him. If you want to talk more about it, I would love to chat with you. Chat to Brad or or Shane, the elders, myself, maybe the friend that brought you along. But do not leave here. If you have questions or you're feeling a little kind of tug inside of you, do not push that away. Can I encourage you? For we have been uh, saved by grace through faith. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you so much for just your amazing work in saving us. And we just want to confess corporately that we are sinners, that we have rejected you to our core. And we want to thank you so much that you offer salvation to us free through your son. Father, would you help those of us who um, struggle with kind of self-righteousness or pride or thinking we're better than we are, would you just humble us? Would you help us to remember um, why we needed saving in the first place? And Father, for those amongst us who live under the guilt of um, past actions and decisions, Father, would you just set them free of that? Would they know your love and your kindness and how um, perfect uh, your son's death was that it covered it all? And would they know the freedom that comes in Christ? We thank you so much that we can be your people, that we can come together from all walks of life and worship you, our Savior, and our King, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name.